Okay, welcome to the 12 Messianic Prophecy Series. Tonight's going to be session number 10, and I'll just give you a heads up. This will be my favorite session, and the reason is it, on the chronological order of these 12, it is the next one to come. And I'll give you the last three. Today will be the Messianic Prophecy number 10, Messiah is Coming for His Church. Messianic prophecy number 11 will be the millennial reign of Christ on this earth. A thousand years of Jesus on the earth as King of kings, Lord of lords. And finally, session 12 will be the eternal kingdom. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So that's the last three sessions, Messianic prophecies. So let's begin in prayer tonight. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the advance notice that you gave us about what was going to happen in the future so that when it does happen, we would know that you are indeed who you say you are and you are controlled, in control of all things. So tonight I pray, Lord, that you would open our minds to understand the scriptures and that we, the church, would live in expectancy of the wedding and our hearts would be prepared, undivided towards you so that when you do come, Lord, you'll find faith in your church. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me begin with this question. Do you believe the Messianic prophecies? It would be of little value for me to outline these 12 and you don't believe them. So do you believe them? Because believing them is what transforms your life. Because why? Some of them have already happened, the first coming of Christ. I went through those Messianic prophecies and, and you have some perspective that what he said he was going to do, he did. So you've got some physical evidence that he keeps his word. But there's some of these Messianic prophecies that haven't happened yet. And the question is, do you believe Messianic prophecies? Then you live with an expectancy that what he said will be, will be. So let's test that tonight, okay? Here we go. I'm, I'm only going to read one of these because I probably won't get through the rest of this anyway. So I'll only read the New Living Translation. You can go down and read the other uh, two translations yourself. For the Lord himself, let that sink in. For the, and by the way, all three of them say the same thing, all three translations. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with the commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. This is a messianic prophecy. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then, notice the sequential order. Then, together with them, who's the them? The Christians who have died. Together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Not in Jerusalem, in the air. There, or excuse me, then we will be with the Lord forever. Now, where did we meet him? In the air, okay? That's important. You'll find that out later. So encourage each other with these words. Did it work? So you should already be encouraged, and you just got here <laughs> just by reading that. The Apostle Paul declares that these words should bring comfort and encouragement to the church. Now, you might say, and it would be a logical thing to say, what about the generations that have gone ahead of us that have lived with an expectancy of this messianic prophecy occurring in their generation and, 
and they got dead and buried, then they get the same outcome we do. I just read it to you. The same outcome. There's a day coming when the dead in Christ are going to rise. In fact, I always like to put some math to it because when you say 2,000 years, it just kind of over my head. But if a generation is, and I'm just using rough math, if a generation 70 years, that means 28 families have gone in front of us. That doesn't sound so big, does it? 28 times 70 is, we're getting right about 2,000. So, so 28 generations of people have been born on the earth reading 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and saying, maybe we'll be the generation. Huh? And then they get dead and buried, and the next one comes and says, maybe we'll be the generation. They get dead and buried, and the next one, maybe we'll be the generation. And here we are. And, and I don't know how many of y'all will make it through the service, but as of right now, we're not dead and buried. Some of y'all looking pretty rough, but we're, we're not dead and buried yet. And what are we doing? We're, we're thinking maybe we'll be the generation. This messianic prophecy is direct from the Lord Jesus. Did you notice that? And it offers some incredible details about a future day when, not if, a future day when the dead and the living. So those generations ahead of, I mean, who've gone ahead of us, who were uh, in the past, that they got dead and buried, it all ends the same. When the dead and the living, and this is the big point tonight in Christ. So this entire conversation about the dead and buried and the living and still alive, the only thing that makes them unique in this story is that they are in Christ. They are in Christ. Christ is in them and they are in Christ. They have become one with him. So they, because they have become one with Jesus, they are one in the resurrection of Jesus. He rose, so you'll rise. Why? Because he's in you and you're in him. So the resurrection belongs to you. So this messianic prophecy is direct from Jesus. It gives incredible details. Dead or alive in Christ are going to receive what? You're going to get a new body. I'm going to show it to you. A dead body. A, a dead body. <laughs> you're not going to get a dead body. We're going to leave a dead body. <laughs> We're going to get a resurrected body, and we're going to enter into the glorious presence of God. So let's do something. Let's draw some context to that verse 16 through 18 by backing up three verses. So let's draw some context. Let's back up three. Go to verse 13. And now, dear brothers and sisters. <clears throat> now, if he says brothers and sisters, who's he writing to? Christians. Okay, he's talking to believers. Just in that day? No. In every generation until this happens. That's why it's a messianic prophecy. Dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen. So he's announcing a future, right? What's going to happen? We want you to know. We don't want you to be ignorant. We want you to know what will happen to the believers, Christians, who have died already. Okay? Where's grandma? Where's great-grandma? Okay? We want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. That doesn't say you don't grieve. It just says you grieve differently. Verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died, what's the foundation? We believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again. 
And because we believe that, there's the foundation. And because we believe that, we also believe that when Jesus returns, so Paul is announcing that there's an event still to come. When Jesus returns, here, this is big. God will bring back with him the believers who have died. So when Jesus returns, God, the Father, will bring back with Jesus, the Son, the believers who have died. We, te we tell you this directly from the Lord. So obviously the Apostle Paul has, has received this direct messianic revelation from, from Christ. We who are still living. Now, now he's talked about the believers who have died, right? Now he says, we who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those that I just talked about. Ahead of those who have been dead and buried. So he talks about a, an order, okay? This is the most specific revelation of the rapture. If you don't like the word rapture, use the word caught up. I don't care. It's the same point. This is the most specific <clears throat> reference of the rapture in the Bible. So I want to do something. I want to outline some of these incredible prophetic Messianic prophetic announcements, that's what they are, given about the future of believers who are in Christ. I'm going to keep saying, if you're not in Christ, this is not yours. Sorry, you missed it. If you're not in Christ, you will not receive any of this stuff. And I'm going to tell you what you will receive in a minute. Jesus died and was raised to life again. So will we. There's the foundation. So will we. Or maybe we will be the generation that ex escapes death altogether. You've heard the old saying, born once, die twice. Right? What does that mean? Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. It's a good way to keep up with the whole concept of being born again. If you're born once, which means you had your birth from your mother's womb, and that's the only birth you receive. You're in the lineage and the seed of Adam. You're under the, the curse of Adam Born once, you'll die twice. What's that mean? You'll die a physical death, and you'll, you'll die a second death, which is judgment, lake of burning sulfur. But if you're born twice, what? That you're born from your mother's womb, first time, and you were born again. But the difference in the second born, born again, now you're not born into the curse of Adam's seed. You're born into a different genealogical family. You're born into the family of Abraham through the blood of Christ. You're, you're now connected to Jesus, Messiah, born again. And guess what? Then you only have to die once, and it's possible you won't have to do that. Right? Why would it be possible you don't have to do that? Because if the rapture occurs, there will be a generation of born-again people that will never, ever die. Never. And by the way, I'm holding up for that deal right now. That's the one I'm looking for. Bear in mind, these promises only apply to those who've been born again, and the Spirit of Christ lives inside of them. We get what He got, the resurrection into eternal life. God will bring back with Him the believers who have died. Now, let's get into some details, because a lot of people in the church really struggle with this. 
God will bring back with him the believers who have died. This statement reveals the souls of believers who have died with Christ are currently in his presence and their souls will return with Christ to receive their resurrected eternal flesh on that glorious day. Why would God bring with Jesus those believers who have died? Why would you want to come back here? Why would you want to come back here? Because the resurrection of the last day has not yet happened. They're waiting for that. So their body, the dead in Christ are going to rise. Well, why are the dead in Christ going to rise if your soul's with him? Because your soul will need its permanent resurrected body. And that does not, will not happen until the last day, until this event takes place. And a lot of people grew up in the church and they never got that part. And it's like this giant piece of the puzzle. The revel this revelation of Paul came directly from the Lord Jesus. It is a messianic prophecy. Uh, the spirit of prophecy is what? The, the testimony of Jesus. So this is a, a spirit of prophecy moment revealing not just Jesus, but what's, what's he going to do? He's going to bring back with him. He's going to bring back with him to planet earth the believers who have been dead and buried so that they can get their eternal bodies as they rise out of the graves. Stay with me. Those who are dead and buried, again, only applies to Christians, will rise first before the alive in Christ rise, the dead in Christ will rise. But don't, don't get tore up by that because that same scripture says, and then we will go rise with them. We will join them. So let's, let's just make it practical. So the, the, there's a loud shout, there's a voice of the archangel, and there's a trumpet blast, and the grave's open. The grave's open. What will unbelievers see? I don't know. It's a good answer. I don't know. A lot of people say, you mean people on the earth who are, who are not going to, who are not believers, are they going to be able to look at the graveyard and say, whoa, no, grave's coming up. I don't know. I don't know. Is it, do you see the dirt move? I don't know. I don't know. I just know this. Them bones going to rise again. <laughs> They're coming out. So they're going to rise. And, and I got, I've shared this before, but I love this story. When my kids were little, my house is here. The Corinth Cemetery is over here, and it's like it's hill, and here's the hill. I can see from my yard, and it's pretty far, but I can see from my yard the, the, the tombstones of Corinth Cemetery. And I have six spots over there reserved for me if I need them in the future. So I told my kids growing up, that one day in the future, you're gonna, you might be out here in the yard playing, you might hear, and you hear a loud shout and the voice of the archangel and trumpet blast, and just look over toward the graveyard, and if you see, psh, 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 psh. <laughs> of course, I really like to dramatize things. And, psh, 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 psh. and here's my kids like, <gasps> mama, he's doing it again. So, and I said, in that moment, in that moment, get ready, because we're going. Don't call your mother. We're going. We're, we're going in that moment, okay? So here, here's, the, here's the dark side of that scene. We rise together. They come up first, and as they're coming up, then, and here we go, and together, um, together we rise into the clouds, and there's Jesus. Okay? This is, this is a real event. This is not Walt Disney World stuff. This is real. This is the essence of what we believe. This is it. This is our future. 
Now, let's get real. Not everybody's coming out of the graveyard. Not everybody's coming out of the yard. There will be left behind in the graveyard and there will be left behind in the fields. Not everybody's going. Some are. Jesus says few. That's not my words. It's his words. But there's a, there's a difference. And I'm gonna, I want to go through the details tonight. This is a messianic prophecy. You notice how I started tonight? Do you believe messianic prophecy? Are you sure? The graves are going to open up when Jesus appears. Dead bodies are going to rise to meet the Lord when, uh, and they're returning, to meet the Lord and they're returning souls. I, I, you you got to get that part. So there's this the resurrected body. You remember what Adam was before God breathed into him the breath of life? He's this, he's this shell, but there's no breath in him. There's no breath in him. He's just this corpse. So here comes this brand new corpse coming out of the ground. There's no breath in him. And here comes Jesus, and he brings the soul of, of that person, and he enters that, that new created body. And, and there we are. Do we believe this stuff? Do you believe Messianic prophecy? Living forever in a glorified body. So let's pause in that. Let's go to 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See how very much our Father loves us? John says. He calls us his children. And that is what we are. But the people who belong to the world, now that's the ones that will still be in the graveyard and they're going to still be in the yard itself. They're, they're not going. But the people of, who belong to this world, they don't recognize that we're God's children. Because they don't know him. They don't know us. Right? Verse 2, dear friends, we're already God's children. I love that part. We're already God's children. Right? Right now, are you waiting to be God's child? You better not be. We're already God's children. But he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him. What kind of body are you going to get? One like him. It's eternal. I, I don't know all the the details, but, but I know we'll be like him. For we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation, the only way you could possibly have eager expectation about this is you believed it. If you don't believe it, you're not going to eagerly expect it. That doesn't even make sense. They will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. Have you ever thought about this preview or shadow event that took place when Jesus breathed his last breath on the cross. So all of these, all of these scriptures are shadows. They're not all of them, but many of them are like shadows, previews of future uh, messianic events. This is one of them. Um, when Jesus is on the cross, a series of events take place that are in themselves messianic shadows of future events. Uh, let me show you. When he's on the cross, the earth shook, the sun went dark, dead people came out of their graves and walked around in Jerusalem. Do you think that that was reflective of some future event? Because on the day of Pentecost, uh, the apostle Peter through the Holy Spirit says, the moon will be darkened. The, the, the revelation says the stars will fall out of the sky. It, the things that are happening on the cross are a shadow 
of things that are going to happen in the future. So let me just take a side note. Jesus on the cross, Matthew 27. Jesus shouted out again and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook. The rocks split apart. Anybody see Revelation? That's in the Revelation. The rocks split apart. That's in the Revelation. And tombs opened. Well, that's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You see, all of this is, it's a preview event of the great event of his final coming. The bodies of many godly men. Now, here's what's interesting. The bodies of whom? Anybody and everybody jumped out of the grave? No, no, no. Who's coming out of the grave? Godly people. The redeemed. You see, even in the scene of the cross, who got a resurrected body? Now, the bad news is there's a point they had to go back in the grave. You know what? These people died again. Or somehow or another they got back in there. I don't know. He left that out. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead, but not all of them. You see the scene? It's this shadow. Not all of them. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection. I, you know, I laugh because, in, not in a funny way, but in a whole way. Okay, you're, you're in Jerusalem for that particular week, and what just happened? Dead people are walking down the street. Do, do you believe this is real? I do. Dead people are coming out of the graves and walking into town. Dead people. That's the power of the cross. It, but it's a preview of what's coming. The Roman officer and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake and all that had happened. They said, this man truly was the son of God. The dead, now back to Thessalonians. The dead in Christ will rise first. Graves will be opened. God will again turn dust into living, breathing flesh. The cross was a preview event of this. Those dry bones will begin to rattle. It will happen in a moment. It will happen in the blink of an eye. I go back to the question earlier, will unsaved people witness it with their own eyes? I don't know. I hope so, but I don't know. I don't know. There's one thing that makes me think not. Okay, but I, I don't know, so don't, don't quote me on this. There's one thing that makes me think that unsaved people will not see it, and it is the Scripture. It will be too fast. It will happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, in an instant, where maybe the human eye cannot comprehend the transaction, that it won't be like slow motion dust coming off of the grave and rising, but so fast that you couldn't comprehend the event itself. Only God's speed could see it. Right, that's just an opinion. Let's read about it. First Corinthians 15. What I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies, now, now, listen, this applies to those dead and buried in the ground believers and those not dead and buried in the ground believers, okay? We got what? Physical bodies. Brothers and sisters, our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You can't get in with this, okay? You can't get in with this. It doesn't matter whether you're dead or buried or whether you're not dead and buried. You can't get in with this. Something's got to change. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. It's not a secret anymore because he's telling it. We will not all die. 
And I told you there's 28 generations that have read that hoping they were it. We will not all die. But we will all be transformed. Why do, why do I need to be transformed? Because I can't get in there with this, right? We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, and here comes the trumpet, right? This is 1 Corinthians. I was reading earlier 1 Thessalonians. So it's the same event we're talking about, right? Same event. It'll happen when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died, he's going to do the same thing in 1 Corinthians. He's going to classify two groups of people, the dead and buried and the not dead and buried. Those who have died will rise to live forever. So everybody, everybody listen for a moment. The Apostle Paul's in this group. His body's in this group. He is speaking about him, his own future. Let me read it again. Because you all giving me that look. Okay. 52. It'll happen in a moment in the blink of an eye when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died. So can you say right now the Apostle Paul is those who have died? Yeah. Where's his soul? I believe his soul is with Christ in glory. Where's his body? It's buried. It's dust. It's deteriorating. Those who have died will be raised to live forever. In that moment, he will rise. Now, I, I didn't put it in the text, and it didn't even come to me until I was studying this afternoon. Um, and it's in 2 Timothy 4.8, where he says, and that he's, he's writing Timothy about his impending death, and he knows I'm about to die. And he said, and, and, because, and, and a crown of righteousness is stored up for me, but not only for me, but for all those who long for his appearing. A crown of righteousness, and he says, it is something that I will receive on that day. NLT says that I will receive when he returns. He describes the crown of righteousness as an event that he will not experience until the day, until he returns. He knew. He knew that the crown of righteousness that was stored up for him, he would not fulfill fully receive it until when? The resurrection of the last day. So when he writes to the Corinth church, he says, those who are dead will be raised to live forever. He's announcing his own future situation. So that's group A. Here's group B. And we who are living, as of right now, that's us, will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Why? Because I can't get into heaven with something that's dying. There's nothing in heaven that's dying. So why would I take this in there? Right? I got to take, you don't take in their junk. So you only got to go in there with new stuff that doesn't get old. Our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies, which means immortal means not subject to death. This world changing event will be announced by three heavenly events. All three are accompanied by the physical presence of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And when I say that, it means he's there in the midst of the three events. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven. So he's there in the scene. He will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet call of God. There are many ideas about the loud shout. 
A lot of it is supposition because we don't know what the loud shout is. What is it? What will he say? What will the loud shout be? Is it possible, because this is just, I just do this to try to actually bring in another scripture. Is it possible that that loud shout has already been revealed in Jesus' own parable of the ten virgins? I want you to notice the parallel. It's, if it is or isn't, it's still the same point. So, what's the loud shout? What would be the shout in the moment that I'm coming to get the bride of Christ? What would be the shout? So, let's suppose. Okay, here we go. Matthew 25. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. But the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. And when the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were all roused by a shout. Remember, a shout. Hmm, that's curious. A shout. What is the shout? Look, the bridegroom is coming. Can anybody imagine on the rapture day a shout? Because what is happening on rapture day? Look, a bridegroom is coming. Now, I'm not saying that has to be the shout. But if not, I'm going to shout it on that day. How's that? Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough for all of us. Go to the shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Now I want you to, I want you to connect this story to the rapture of Anna, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Some are going to be ready to go and some are not going to be ready to go when the bridegroom opens the door. The bridegroom's coming. Come out and meet him. Well, I'm not ready. I got to go to town and get some oil. Well, I'm not ready. Verse 10, but while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. Yes, I believe this parable that I just read of Jesus describes the rapture of the church in much detail. And yes, many people will be left behind to endure the seven-year tribulation on the earth. Some will be left behind. Listen, this is kind of important. Because when you think about people being left behind in this scene, five bridesmaids and five bridesmaids, you typically think about the living. It's not just the living. They're going to remain in their graves too. Nobody's leaving. Only in Christ there is anybody leaving. Everybody else is staying. And what's going to happen next? Now, not that it matters if you're in the grave, but what's going to happen next when the bridegroom takes his bride? All hell breaks loose on the earth. And you had a chance. Look, the bridegroom's coming. Come out and meet him. Come out and meet him. That's a shout. And, and they weren't ready. So they remain here. They, they stay here. So what about this next trumpet scene? You want to get interesting? We're going to get interesting now. Because there's another trumpet scene in the Bible. 
It's found in Jesus's Olivet Discourse. And if you don't know what the Olivet Discourse is, it's a fancy word for Jesus on the Mount of Olives on the Wednesday before he will die on a Friday. And he doesn't have a huge crowd. He only has his circle of closest disciples. Very few people are with him. And it's the second longest single teaching in the Bible of Jesus. First longest is the, uh, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. This is the second longest recorded teaching of Jesus in the Bible. So what is this next trumpet scene? This next trumpet scene comes, I believe, listen carefully, after the seven-year tribulation, when Jesus comes as king for the Jewish remnant to make war on the earth, the raptured church, when this next trumpet goes off, and I'm going to read it to you, when this next trumpet goes off, we have already been resurrected with him in heaven, and we come back with him behind him as he comes as king of kings and lord of lords to make war on the earth at the end of the seven-year tribulation. So at the beginning of the seven year, the church leaves. At the end of the seven year, the church comes back. Okay, stay with me. And there's a trumpet again. Let's go to Matthew 24. And then, at last, at last, the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And it's this picture that everybody on earth can see him. Now, we were in the rapture event, and it looks difficult for those to see him who are not in Christ. But now everybody seems to see him, and they're not celebrating the bridegroom's coming. Now there's deep mourning and anguish on the earth. It's looking like it's not the same event, right? And he will send out his angels with the mighty blast of a trumpet. There's that trumpet again. He will send out his angels with the mighty blast of a trumpet. And they, those angels at the trumpet, will gather his chosen ones from all over the world. Who are they? If you say it's the church, then you have a struggle with the whole premillennial concept. So who's he coming for? The Jewish people. During that seven-year tribulation, what happened? He raised up 12,000, 144,000, 12,000 times 12 tribes. I like to refer to them as the 12,000, 144,000 supernatural apostle Pauls. He raises them up, puts his spirit in them. They're all Jewish. They're all from the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sends them out into the world during the tribulation for what purpose? And when the full number of Gentiles comes in, he will turn his attentions to the Jews during the tribulation. And he will pour out his spirit upon the people of Israel during the 12 years. During the seven years, not 12 years. During the seven years. So, back to 31. He will send out his angels with the mighty blast of a trumpet, and they will gather his chosen. I believe that's Israel's remnant from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. When I was growing up in the church, I was taught that there was, was only one return of Jesus event, and Jesus was never. Listen, I was taught, I don't mean this in a bad way, but I was taught that Jesus was never going to stand upon this earth again. Never, 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 never. But his plan was to come and destroy the earth with fire. 
He's not coming back here. And then I read the Bible. First Thessalonians reveals the coming of Jesus and so does Revelation 19. I'm asking a question. Is there a difference? Are they two separate events? Is First Thessalonians chapter 4 the rapture of the church? And is Revelation 19 the second coming? So let's ask the question. Not my opinion. What does the Bible say? Not that somebody told you that. What does the Bible say? Revelation 19 is a coming event. If you read this, there's no way you could say it is a past tense event. It is a future event. And I want you, as I read this, to compare it to another future event, the rapture of the church. I want you to look at them side by side. So let me read it, starting with verse 11. And then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True. Now we're talking about Jesus, okay? Heaven's open, here's Jesus. His, the rider was named Faithful and True. He judges fairly and he wages a righteous war. So, so notice something. He's a king and he's coming to make war, okay? You don't, don't miss this. What's, what's he doing? He's going to wage a righteous war. His eyes are like flames of fire, and on his head are many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title is what? The Word of God. The armies of heaven. So this is a military kind of a description. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, follow him on white horses. Hmm. Where's he going? He's leaving heaven. Where's he going? He's coming to the earth. Why? He's making war. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. When he gets here, he's going to strike down the nations. He's coming to make war. He will rule them. Whoa, what? He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God. So he's coming to rule on the earth. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe and at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. So let's do something. Let's lay them side by side. First Thessalonians chapter 4, Revelation 19. Let's lay them side by side. I have read them both to you tonight. In First Thessalonians... Jesus appears in the heavens, in the clouds, in the air, right? But in Revelation, Jesus returns to the earth. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, show me where his feet are ever on the ground. And we shall meet him in the air, and there we shall be with him forevermore. Let me give you another. And again, this is just popped into my head. It's not in the notes. Uh, that's when I get in trouble. Jesus says in the Gospels, um, and I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you will be also. Now, it's kind of hidden in there, unless you're looking. That where I am, there you will be. Where I am. I'm coming so that where I am, you will be. So, that scene, when everything is ready, I will come and get you seen. He's not coming so that he will be where we are. He's coming so that we can be where he is. 
They are different. Okay? They are different. Just as different as 1 Thessalonians is in Revelation 19. So, so in, he comes in the clouds in 1 Thessalonians. He comes to the earth in Revelation 19. Okay, it gets better. Number two, in 1 Thessalonians, Jesus comes as a deliverer, right? He, he's coming, the bridegroom's coming, right? He's coming, this is good, okay? This is good he's coming. But in Revelation, Jesus comes as a warrior. It's, it's a whole different scene. In 1 Thessalonians, Jesus comes for the church. But in Revelation, Jesus comes with the church. And if you doubt that, hold on. If you doubt that, I'm going to show you. He comes with the church. In 1 Thessalonians, Jesus comes with love and compassion. But in Revelation, Jesus comes in wrath and judgment. They're two different events. In 1 Thessalonians, Jesus comes as the bridegroom. Given that 10 bridesmaids uh, story. He comes as a bridegroom coming for his bride. But in Revelation, he comes as a reigning and conquering king. I want you to bear in mind that these two passages, 1 Thessalonians 4, Revelation 19, are the only two detailed descriptions of Jesus' return in the New Testament. Do you know that? That's it. There's two of them. That's it. Do they look like the same event to you? Are you still not convinced? Here's the big question. Who are the armies of heaven returning with Jesus in verse 14 of Revelation 19? So let's go back up there. Top of the page. The armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen followed him on white horses. And some of you right now thinking, I can't even ride a horse. <laughs> That's the new body. Stay with me. Okay. And if you get thrown off the new body, off the horse with a new body, it doesn't hurt anymore. Let's go back up to Revelation 19. Let's back up. Let's go to verse 6 through 8 and see if we can identify the armies that are dressed in white. So that it's not supposition. Who are the armies on white horses dressed in white? Who are they? Okay, you don't have to guess. Let's go to verse 14. The armies of heaven, these are heavenly people. The armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen followed him on white horses. Okay, who are they in Revelation 19? So let's go next, verse 6. And then I heard again what sounded like a shout of a vast crowd and a roar of mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord for the Lord our God, uh, the Almighty reigns. By the way, don't read over that because that's the king part. He's, he's, I'm taking over. That's what that means. He's taking over. Let us be glad and rejoice. Let us give honor to him. I should have said, he's taking over the earth. He's not just taking over. He's taking over the earth. Let us give let us be glad and rejoice. Let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and the bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. Who's on the horses with white linen? Who? The bride of Christ. How'd she get up there? Because he's coming back, and they're behind him. He's coming back to the earth to make war. How did the bride get up there and get a white horse and white linen? Because seven years earlier, she had prepared herself. Seven years earlier, when the trumpet sounded, she left here. For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. Convinced? This army dressed in white linen is the church that had been taken from the world through the resurrection rapture event seven years earlier, returning with Christ. Why will the church return with Christ after seven years? Why? Why in the world are we going to come back down here? Huh? We got a resurrected body. 
I'm with God in heaven. Why do I want to come back down here? Huh? I'm going to tell you. Because I'm going to tell you, when you get this, you'll have cold chills. Because this is the plan of God. Why are we going to come down here? It's not about you and it's not about me. It's about him. Why is he coming back? The church age saints had already received the resurrected eternal bodies and they're coming back with Jesus to fulfill the Lord's Prayer. Huh? The Lord's Prayer. And what Gabriel told to Mary before she conceived. Both. Here we go. What's the Lord's Prayer? Jesus said, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy or hallowed be your name. And may your kingdom come soon. Where? May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you think that's happening right now? No. When will it happen? When he comes back as king. Here's the second one. When he comes with the church after the seven-year tribulation, he's going to reign on this earth. His kingdom is going to come and his will is going to be done on earth as it is currently being done in heaven. It'll be done on earth. Why? How? Because when he comes, he will take Satan and cast him into prison. And in Jerusalem will be King Jesus. So who will be the king of the earth? Jesus. Where's the opposing force? He's gone. May your kingdom come. And may your will be done here like it is in heaven. Okay, not convinced? What did Gabriel tell Mary? This is why he's coming. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. And he will be very great and be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him what? The throne of his ancestor David. Where do you think that is? Does he, do you think that's in heaven? You show me where ancestor David's throne is in heaven. It's not in here. You know where the throne of David is? Jerusalem. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. And he will reign over Israel forever. And his kingdom will never end. So you know what question I started with tonight? Do you believe in Messianic prophecies? Ooh. Here's what's interesting. You know, I don't mean people in church really don't buy this. And when I say don't buy this, you have no expectation, no anticipation. Maybe I'm talking to some right now. You have no anticipation that you stand on perhaps the edge of this event. And if tonight the bridegroom shouted, you'd be surprised. You see, what's interesting to me, and that's another point of contention with my Bible education as a child. I was raised in the church. And when I was raised in the church, you know what I learned about the book of Daniel? Probably the same thing you did, unless you came to church here very long. Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That makes me mad. It's nothing wrong with Daniel and the lion's den, nothing wrong with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But that is not what the book of Daniel is about. That's a sideline story. 
You know what the book of Daniel is about? This. This. Daniel 2.31. In your vision, this is Daniel telling King Nebuchadnezzar what God revealed. In your vision, your majesty, you saw standing before you a huge shining statue of a man. It was a frightening sight. The head of the statue was made of fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its belly and thighs were bronze. Its legs were iron. Its feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. As you watched a rock. Do you know who that rock is? This is 586 years before Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Do you believe in Messianic prophecy? As you watch this frightening giant statue, a rock was cut from a mountain. But not by any human, not by human hands, not this rock. It struck the feet of iron and clay, smashing them to bits. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. You know what those are? All the Gentile kingdoms of man that cover the planet, all of them, they're all going to be crushed and turned to dust, right? 500 years before Christ, this vision took place. The whole statue will be crushed into small pieces. Then the wind blew them away without a trace, like chaff on a threshing floor. But the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain and covered the whole earth. Who is it? It's Jesus. Yes, there are still many mysteries about the rapture of the church, but this is clear. It only applies to those who have been born again and the Spirit of Christ lives inside of them. Don't get caught up in all the mysterious details and miss the main point. The main point is the dead in Christ will rise first. In Christ. And those of us who are alive in Christ will rise. Everybody else, you're left behind. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest. Who do you think is in the harvest? Us. He's the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, there's that curse. Everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. In Christ, the dead in Christ, dead in Christ. Verse 23, but there's an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised first. Then those who belong to Christ will be raised when? 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 Those who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. First, those in the graves. Second, those who are alive standing up. Meet together, meet him in the air. It is important that the bride make herself ready for the bridegroom's coming. There's a phrase often mentioned in this context. Midnight. Midnight. Will the bridegroom come for his bride, the church, at midnight? Uh, what was the name of the movie that they showed here a few months ago? There was a bride and bridegroom. What was it called? Y'all don't have a better memory than I do. Huh? Yeah. Uh, coming Wrath. 
Anyway, it, it really played on the whole idea of the bride and the bridegroom and, and the biblical application of that, uh, playing on the whole concept of the, the, the Galilean wedding ceremony and how it plays into the, the narrative of this uh, rapture of the church. But in Matthew, uh, Matthew 25, it says, Jesus says, at midnight, they were all roused with a shout. This is the parable of the ten virgins, ten bridesmaids. He uses the phrase midnight. They were roused, and there's a shout. There's a shout at midnight. There's a shout at midnight. And what's the shout? The bridegroom's coming. Midnight, shout, bridegroom's coming. Come out and meet him, right? I'm not trying to propose the idea of midnight, that, that, that it, it happens at 12 o'clock. It might happen at 12 o'clock. I, I don't know. That's not my point. The point is, they were roused by a shout, and the shout came at midnight, and the shout is preparation. Come out and meet him. Prepare yourself. So hold that in your mind, and let's jump down to the Gospel of Mark. Jesus again, chapter 13. However, no one knows the day, and no one knows the hour. So if you're planning on it being midnight and setting your stopwatch, don't do it. Okay? No one knows the day, no one knows the hour. When these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. And it's pretty obvious he's not telling anybody in advance. And since you don't know, and that's us tonight, since you don't know what time, when that time will come, be on guard. Stay alert. The coming of the Son of Man will be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. When he left home, he gave each of his slaves instructions about the work they were to do, and he told the gatekeeper to do something. He told the gatekeeper to watch for his return. You too must keep watch. So everybody stop. Do you believe in Messianic prophecy? You too must keep watch. For you don't know when the master of the household will return. In the evening... And here's that at midnight, or at dawn, or at daybreak. Don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning. I say to you what I say to everyone. What? Say it out loud. Watch for him. You will never be in trouble while you're watching for him. What about those left behind? I've made a big deal several times tonight about that event will leave people in the graves and it'll leave people standing in their yards and at their houses. It'll, it'll leave people here on earth. What about those left behind? Who are they and why are they left behind? This number 10 prophecy in our series of 12 is from Paul's first letter to the church at Thessalonica. Okay? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is Paul's first letter. What I'm about to read to you is Paul's second letter. It answers several questions about the rapture. In his second letter, it kind of clears up some question marks. What is holding back the Antichrist and the darkness right now, today? What's keeping the tribulation and destruction? So we know that when the Antichrist comes, destruction will come with him. The tribulation will come when he comes. So what's holding him back? What's, why isn't he already happening? I mean, let's face it. Lawlessness is increasing. There's travail, birth pains uh, uh, that Jesus talked about in the Olivet Discourse. They're here. So what's holding him back? What sign 
will precede the rapture and unveiling of the Antichrist. The apostasy, the rebellion. Let me put it another way. Do you believe the church will know who the Antichrist is? What will happen after the church is taken away? What will happen on the earth? Because I started this question with the question, what about those left behind? I guess if you're in the grave, who cares? It doesn't matter because you're waiting for the, the resurrection of the judgment, the great white throne. That's the second death. This is the most horrible event in humankind, the second death, when you're raised to be cast into the lake of fire. You, you get the resurrection just to go to hell. Think that one through. Who are they that are left behind, enjoying evil rather than believing the truth? Who are they? So here we go. Second Thessalonians unlocks First Thessalonians. Okay? Now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus and how we will be gathered to meet him. Is there any doubt what we're talking about right here? About Jesus coming, how we're going to be gathered to meet him. That's what we're talking about. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them even if they claim to have had a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. Don't be fooled by what they say. Now, everybody pause for a moment. Look at your paper. You see that four on there? I made a terrible mistake. I was running out of room on this page, so I did a cut and paste and cut and paste, and I missed. Okay? That four should not be on there. He will exalt. That's out of place. That should be down another at the end of all the highlight and underlining. Sorry about that. I didn't catch it. So don't be, here's how it should read. Don't be fooled by what they say. For that day will not come. What? The day of the Lord's return. That day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God, number one. And number two, the man of lawlessness is revealed. The one who brings destruction. Okay? What do you think that looks like? Lawlessness, destruction. He will appear in the midst of the seven-year tribulation at the beginning. And now you can pull that three words down there. He will exalt himself. Who? The man of lawlessness, the Antichrist. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God, every object of worship. He will defy them. He will even sit in the temple of God claiming that he himself is God. Don't you remember that I told you about all this when I was with you? Can anybody see 1 Thessalonians? When I was with you, I told you about all this, right? I can kind of picture him talking about the rapture. I told you about all this when I was with you. And you know what's holding him back, <laughs> right? I'm looking at you all. You know what's holding him back, right? For he can be revealed only when his time comes. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly, and it will remain secret until the one that is holding it back, the one who is holding it back, steps out of the way. Who's holding it back? Church. An organization? No. No, 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 no. Who's holding it back? What is the, what's holding back the darkness? The light. Why can't the darkness come? Because the light's here. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. Those who won't live in the light no longer have to walk in darkness. So what would happen on the day that the light disappeared? In a, in a flash, in a twinkle of an eye, the light disappears. You know what's holding him back. For he can be revealed only when his time comes. For this lawlessness has already worked secretly. It will remain secret until the one who's holding it back steps out of the way. And then, 
something will happen. And then the man of lawlessness will be revealed. Now, if that's sequentially in order, then you'll have to read in the newspaper in heaven who the Antichrist is. <laughs> and then the man of lawlessness will be revealed. And this next part, you can kind of put in a seven-year gap. But the Lord, what? The Lord will kill him. He won't survive. The Lord will kill him. Actually, what happens is the Lord takes the Antichrist and the false prophet and casts them into the lake of burning sulfur when he comes. And the Lord will kill him. How? With the sword or with the breath of his mouth and destroy him with the splendor of what? His coming. This man, the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power, signs, and miracles. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction. Because what? How, what, what brought them to this destruction? Because they refused to love and accept the truth that would save them. I'm holding it up. They refused to love and accept the truth that would save them. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived, and they will believe these lies and then they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. There are four times that the word Lord, Lord is used back to back in the Bible. And all of them are bad news. <laughs> I find that kind of amazing. Four times somebody says, Lord, Lord. It's all bad news. Let me read them to you. And there's a reason why I want to close with this tonight. Jesus says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Y'all remember the parable of the bridesmaids? Five and five. Five didn't make it. Why? They don't have any oil in their lamps. They weren't ready. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. You think he's bluffing? On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. There it is again. We prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We perform many miracles in your name, in your name, in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Matthew 25, 11, Jesus says, Later when the other five bridesmaids return, they stood outside. Five have already gone through. They got oil in their lamps. They stood outside knocking, calling, Lord, Lord. There it is again. Open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. Finally, one more, Luke 6, 46. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when I'll improvise a little bit, when you have no plan whatsoever in your life to ever actually do what I told you? Why do you say, Lord, Lord, when you have absolutely no plan in your life to ever actually do what I told you? I got some preacher friends. We've kind of concluded those are some of the heaviest verses in the Bible. Because he's not talking to pagans, is he? Pagans don't say, Lord, Lord. You know who he's talking to? The church. The bridesmaids that went to sleep and never woke up. Next week, Messiah comes to King 
as king to reign on this present earth, the millennial reign of Christ. Father, thank you for your word. I pray your bride will have oil in her lamps. All of us will have oil in our lamps. Make our hearts ready. Not by might, not by power, but by your spirit. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all.